I want to start off with just a couple of scriptures today. And um, actually, the worship team used some of my scriptures today in that song that they wrote at the end. Yeah, which is always kind of cool. But I want to start off and, and just for a couple of little, little hitters, Philippians 1, verse 9 and 10. Speaking of, I guess the message, what I want it to be about is unlocking the power of God that's within the believers and unlocking power that is within us that can change the world every single day, any, any day and every single day. And I want to give maybe some strategy and point out some things within the new covenant reality through the Old Covenant, um, through the Old Testament, um, that point to that. But the first scripture, Philippians 1, verse 9 and 10 says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things which are excellent and be without offense. It's something that's very interesting. Being able to see things, discern things by the Spirit, and then release the heart of God into them. Is, is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's something that transforms the entire world. And I love, um, usually a lot of times when you hear the term, we're going to talk about discernment, we think, oh, well, discernment's like, you know, I can, that, there's a girl in here with the Jezebel spirit. You know, I can discern that there's some, this boy's not been in the word lately or whatever, you know. And discernment, at, at least by the scriptures, Philippians 1, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. And it's like discernment is able to see something and, and speak into its approval. It's even being able to see something, see into something that's often unseen. Because the poison of the fall, the knowledge of good and evil, the, the desire to be judgmental in order to have power is something that's, that's actually conformed us into an image that we were never supposed to manifest. You dig? And so it's like the reality that true discernment is rooted in love in Philippians 1, when we, when we see through the, through the visuals, through the eyes of, of love, and we see the value in others, that's where all knowledge and discernment comes from. And it puts us in a place to speak into those things, to approve the things which are excellent. It doesn't say that you, that you would have discernment so that you could be safe from the Jezebels or the, 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 the nasty things. It's like that you would be able to approve that which is excellent. There's something in, in this covenant, in the new covenant, that we are empowered in such a way that we have the ability to speak into the hidden treasures of people's heart and life and cause those things to manifest out of them. Yes, sir. I was reading 2 Corinthians this week, man, and, and um, something you ever read through the Bible and something really, really sticks out to you in such a profound way that I read it almost every day after I first ran into it. I think it was even on Monday or Tuesday. And um, it's 2 Corinthians 5, the second passage we'll start off with just to lay the foundation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, and, uh, 14 to 16. It says, For the love, there's that word again, of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer go on living for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have once known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And this man, this, this, this little passage this week hit me really, really hard, and it was very, it was very much life to me. 
of this, this reality, this, some of your Bibles will say compels, some will say controls. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different, um, it, an urge, control, like overwhelms, dominates. It's this, this passage that says the love of Christ is like, it's like our complete and total motivation. Understanding that he died for everybody and all, everybody who's died. So even the people that are walking around in a fallen state, we have the ability to see with the eyes of love and the eyes of discernment. And it says in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. It's like we, now we, we never judge by just the carnal way we perceive someone or even what they're manifesting. We have this higher wisdom, this higher ability to see in which we can see into their hearts the value of that which is of the kingdom and speak into that reality. It's a, it's a brute. What do we have? We did a prophetic training here. I think there was 30 people that did the prophetic training to do the prophetic teams and stuff like that uh, last week. And that was, a, that was really cool. And I didn't, we didn't teach it. We had the manual out and, and they kind of ran through that and, and, and taught it. And I thought it was brilliant and great. But, you know, Revelations 19 says the testimony of Jesus is the very spirit of prophecy. So it's not, oh, you know, Biden's in office. Now the mark of the beast is coming next. Hide your guns and buy your canned goods. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's not prophecy. Prophecy is the testimony of what Jesus has actually accomplished. Yeah. You guys are laughing because you know that's how it's kind of paraded these days. But the reality is the testimony of Jesus is the very spirit of prophecy. And it's written throughout the entire Bible. And all of these verses, what discernment is, being able to see people's value, the love that actually compels us to where we no longer, we no longer view people according to the flesh, actually helps us to get out of the way of that old Adam mentality, which is judgmental. And be free of criticism and judgment, because criticism and judgment is actually a weight that we sometimes carry. Uh-oh. Oh, Vincent, come on, man. Ah. It's the Illuminati coming after us for that last comment, man. I'm telling you. Oh, man. But you know what I'm saying? We have, this, we have this ability to view. Now that we've seen God, we can actually see Him as He truly is, and we're transformed in the same. Everything's about our vision. Everything's about our perception. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are transformed as we be, behold Him. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's the only religion where you are changed, you transform, not by your knowledge or your understanding of, you know, it's by who you see. It's by seeing Him. The more we accurately we see the Lord, the more the veils are over are, are taken off of who He actually is, and we're transformed into that same image. And there's something like mankind was created in the image of God as the imagers of God. We have a unique skill set to actually image and release the vision of who God is over all of creation. Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning for that to happen. You know. But what needs to take place is we have to actually see Him as He truly is. And so many people, and maybe some of it's our fault in Christianity, you know what it's, they, they think God is a way that He's not. Harsh, judgmental, critical, and hard. And what we think about God is how we actually portray Him to people. Even not saying like how we speak and preach and all these things. It's how we portray Him with our very life. The image of the one who we're watching and knowing is the image that we're actually releasing in this dimension called time and space. You know? And there's, there's, there's something, you know, I've, I've often talked about seeing this way. And I, what do we do a teaching called um, God's Not the Devil? 
not long ago. That one went out pretty good. But, uh, you know, there's a demonic view of God being the devil where, where because of the poison of the fall, man has switched the identity of God with the accuser, who is Satan. You know what I mean? And there's, and there's doctrines and there's things that have been pulled out of Scripture like John 16, like where people literally believe the role of God or the, the role of the Holy Spirit in their life is to be their convictor and to point out their flaws and sins. And the reality is, it's not there. It's not even in our Bible. You know, John 16, it goes on and it, and it literally says, well, let me just, let me, I wasn't planning on doing, I won't do a big uh, review, but I'll, I'll go into that just for one moment. But John 16, when people think of God as the accuser, which is Satan himself, it's this prophecy that Jesus is prophesying or, or speaking prophetically to the disciples that, hey, it's, it's good that I'm actually going to go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. And in John 16, verse 8, he says, And when he has come, this helper, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of, and of unbelief. Of sin because they don't believe, of righteousness because I go to my Father and he sees me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And it's like the new covenant is like you're going to be empowered with the Spirit of your Father, with the Holy Spirit in such a profound way. And people think he convicts us of sin. He says, no, he says he's going to come upon you and convict the world of sin. But he goes on and says the sin is the unbelief. He's going to reprove the world of, of sin, which is unbelief. And so we have this mentality that we're relating to God or we're afraid to relate to God and give him our whole heart and life because all he ever does is he's harsh and he points out our flaws and he's going to slap us on the wrist when the reality is there's an empowerment of this covenant that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered to change people's minds out of unbelief. To demonstrate, it says, that the ruler of this world is judged. See, we don't use that passage very much. I've been convicted uh, of judgment. Well, what? Buy your canned goods and hide? You know, there's thousands of people. There's thousands of people on the outside cities of this town that live that way. Honestly, probably of every town. Thinking that God is the judgment of God is close to being poured out. So hide your kids, hide your wives, and we've got our houses boarded up. We have all of our windows boarded up with boards. We got sandbags around our house for a hurricane that's not going to come. And they sit in their house and they grow old and they pass away bearing little fruit in life. Did that come across too hot or harsh? I don't, I don't mean it to, but what, I, what I'm trying to say is, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered and be my witnesses. That's Acts 1.8. And he was referring to this same exact passage, passage, like you will reprove and convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of unbelief of sin because they do not believe. In other words, that you are going to change their mind and inspire them to connect with me. And you're going to demonstrate not that the judgment is coming, but that the ruler of this world is judged. And the wrath of God in, Rome, in Romans that says it was poured out on all the ungodliness of men is not coming on men, it's coming on the ungodliness of men, which was put upon the Son of Man and buried. And you'll be the witnesses of this incredible good news. And it's, man, it's such a mindset uh, change. And it, and it has even been for me over the years, the more I've studied the Bible, the more I went through school, the more I've just been a student of the Word, um, of saying, hey, sometimes it sounds funny, but oh yeah, God's not the devil. He's been given to lead me into all truth. His discernment is to, is to approve that which is excellent, not to condemn and tell somebody they're going to hell. 
So making disciples was about living a life connected to him that's successful. I'm not talking about money, which it can be that too, but it's the righteousness, the peace, and the joy. The peace and the joy are the things that the whole world is lurking, looking for so much, but that's the essence of the kingdom that we're supposed to manifest, and people should see it and want it. And that's how we make disciples in this covenant. It's not like, well, if you don't join my club, you're going to go to hell. You know, God loves you. But he is going to torment you in hell. <laughs> so you need to join my club. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, that's a good, you know, that's a good little sales pitch, I guess. But, I mean, it just, it's, it's not the Bible, though. Mm -mm. That's not it. It's not in there, man. And I've read it quite a bit. Listen, I remember that they, they used, you know, this mentality of, like, I need God in my life because I'm such a sinner. He has to convict me of my sin all day. He's got to walk around with a stick and smack me on the hand to keep me in line. But they use that verse, not that verse, that's not a verse, but they use the verse about the heart of flesh of Ezekiel 36, 26, which I think is so beautiful. It's just like, well, if he ain't convicting us of sin, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, like Jeremiah 31, 33, it's like, I'm going to take that old stone heart and I'm going to write my laws on your heart. Like, I'm going to be on the inside of you in such a profound way that you'll be led in truth and those won't be your options. You won't need a list of the knowledge of what good is and the knowledge of what evil is. They call that the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you have a list to, to make sure you're being good or being evil because then you're not doing either one of those things. You're just following rules. But I'm going to do something in this covenant that's going to transform your heart from the inside out. And those things you didn't want to be doing, you actually won't do any longer because you'll be different. And I love that they wrote that. You know, when I was going through school several years ago, um, I was going through, I don't know what portion, I don't know if I was, I was trying to finish, I don't know if I was the, I don't know what I was in, bachelor's or master's, whatever I was doing, but I, I was having to go through the book of Ezekiel, and see, I knew these things. I knew these things, and I had taught these things for years, but I was having to go through the book of Ezekiel, and golly, uh, you know, sometimes you go back to reading it like a robot for school stuff, and so it, it was literally like combing through like almost every single verse of Ezekiel, which that's a tough read, you know what I mean, sometimes, but um, with this old covenant mentality. And I was going through Ezekiel, and I was feeling such pressure. And it's something I say sometimes, sometimes you don't realize what you're carrying until you sense its absence. And um, sometimes you don't realize the pressure you're carrying, the stress or anxiety, or whatever. Sometimes we don't understand what we're holding on to until the Lord moves into our zone his presence, and, and like instantly when we feel him, it's the absence of the thing. And it's like, whoa, I feel light. It's like, yeah, you were heavy, weren't you? Yeah, okay. So, and I remember combing through Ezekiel, going through this Old Testament prophet, and, and, and who's brilliant. But there was so much warning, what looked like warning and threat. Uh, Babylonian invasion, you know, judgment that was coming. All these terrible things. And Israel, just like they would often do in the Old Testament, and this was kind of one of the bigger ones, had gone on after, they, they would get right with God, he would bail them out, they would do really well, they would succeed, and then they would get comfortable and they'd start going after other things. And then the favor of God would kind of back off and the enemy would come and smack them because they were actually going outside of bounds anyways where you can get smacked. And it was just like this perpetual here, you know what I mean? But I'm reading the book of Ezekiel and I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm like kind of hunching down, kind of like I am right now, just like, gosh, okay, so, you know, this military army, they're going to come, and they're going to besiege you on this side of the, you know, nobody's going to come out of this gate. It's like all these forecasts of this judgment is going to come, and, and this, this old mentality of the bipolar God 
Good thing we got, you know, gentle Jesus because his dad sure is a monster, which is birthed out of the knowledge of good and evil. Even though I didn't believe it, its residue was, was like, oh my gosh, I know that God is good. I, I see, I understand the Bible. I understand the wars of the Old Testament. I understand, you know, things we talked about. Genesis 6, you know, the Tower of Babel, Deuteronomy 32, the, the, the gods of the world. God selecting Abraham, being the God of Abraham, starting over, you know, all these different things. I understand these things. I understand the Nephilim. I send all the wars of the Old Testament, even with this knowledge in my mind that I know God is good and Jesus has been God the whole time. I'm still feeling the pressure of reading this God that seems like he's constantly breathing out threats against these people. If they don't turn, they're going to get smacked on. And finally, I felt the presence of the Lord kind of come to me and like, yo, and something clicked within me to realize how many times God was forecasting their judgment and how many times he was even very specific about how the enemies were going to come after them. And I started thinking like, hey, man, look, I know Ezekiel is kind of a strange guy. There's no getting around that. But I started to think like, man, if people just valued the word of the Lord and acknowledged that he was a prophet, they would have had a map out of so much of this. And even if the rest of the people that weren't listening to them, to, you know, you know, the whole nation wasn't, they still would have had a map of where this thing was going to come at them. And they could have got out of town. They could have moved out, which happened in 70 AD. But that's a whole other story. But the, the thing about it is, I started seeing the Bible through the goodness of God. I got into a place of knowledge where I was just actually coming through this and answering questions and doing all this work, looking at the Bible almost like a phone book. And I, and I forgot that the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. And that this view that God is critical, judgmental, and he's the accuser, it's like, oh yeah, you're, you're, actually, you're actually not the devil. All these warnings are like, hey, if you continue to side with the demonic realm, which is trying to destroy you and annihilate you off the face of the earth, you're, you're going to get what they're going to give you. And it was constant. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's good. And I looked back and I see these things like Ezekiel 8. You know, if you've ever heard like, oh, Ezekiel 8's a, a kind of a cool story, but basically Ezekiel gets pulled up by one of his dreadlocks. It says, in, in between earth and heaven. So can you just imagine that? He gets pulled in, and that in between earth and heaven, that's what we, we call that the spirit realm or the second heaven. So you'll hear references to like third heaven revelation, you know, second Corinthians 12, you know, Apostle Paul talks about third heaven. It's like the, the realm and the domain of the king where there is nothing but light. But the second heaven, we, we would consider that's just the spirit realm. And so this prophet Ezekiel would get, got pulled into the spirit realm between earth and heaven, second heaven, what do you even call it, by his dreadlocks. And, and he starts to see what's going on behind the scenes in Ezekiel 8. And he sees several of the priests and several of the elders and several of the, the women and several, all these different people of Israel behind God's back, making partnerships with these deities, these other gods of other regions. And so I was like, oh, okay. It's just like this judgment that was coming and this, this thing, it's like these, these demonic entities were creeping themselves into the Israeli system, the religious system, and trying to destroy it from the inside out. And God actually comes and he pulls Ezekiel, Ezekiel in to see it. And if you read those stories, it's kind of crazy. But Ezekiel had both. He had the second heaven revelation where he would see things that seemed very bad, but he'd also have third. You know, he'd also have stuff where he'd see the Lord. 
you know, he'd see the, the chariot of God, like, moving over him. You know what I'm saying? If you covered in eyes, the wheels, and all those strange things, you know, it's kind of fun. But, you know, he, he had this prophetic gift when he was seeing all these things. And I started to realize, like, man, God was showing Ezekiel what was going on behind the scenes and calling them out in complete and total public. So people had a view of what direction they were all going in. Then on top of that, the goodness of God was constantly throwing out warnings after warnings of what was coming if they didn't change course, you know. So much so, just like in 70, where no Christian was reported through that tribulation of 70 AD, you know, the destruction of Israel. No Christian was reported uh, dying in that. But that's just Josephus and the historians. But, you know, it's one of those things that God was good the whole time. And that pressure started to relax off me like, okay, just remember what side of the tracks you're on and what you're thinking and what you're viewing the Bible through. And then you start to get to those upper chapters of Ezekiel 36. This is like, like what they, that song they wrote there at the end. And I love that. It's, it's the, the chapter, I call it the beautiful heart, but it's Ezekiel 36, 26. I'll do 20, 24. I'll take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. It was all the partnerships they had made with all the demonic rulers of these other places. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments and do them. It's this beautiful prophecy of the new covenant reality of the people of God being recovered from the entire world. Thus says the Lord on verse 33. I'm going to read a couple of these just because I kind of enjoy it. Hopefully you guys dig it. But on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. That's heaven on earth. That's our kingdom come. That's what Eden was. And the waste of desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. The nations which are left all around shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. That's mankind. Hmm. I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. There's going to be a connection there. And I thought, man, okay, the heart of the Lord, how beautiful. And the heart of this prophet who was so ahead of his time, seeing God's heart not as being harsh, but this redemptive plan that he had. And then there's the Ezekiel 37 passage, which, which is so beautiful that it comes right there. Then Ezekiel has his second, I would call it another second heaven revelation or spiritual revelation. It says, maybe I'll cliff notes Ezekiel 37 so it won't be long, but the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. Then he caused me to pass by all around, and behold, there were many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I'm sorry, I think I skipped a word. There were many dead bodies. The valley was full of bones. And there were many of them in the middle of the valley. So here you have Jesus, uh, Ezekiel being, being lifted up in the Spirit, and kind of given a panoramic view of this valley of people. Kind of like, if you listen to the podcast, I'm moving my hand in a circular motion. So he's like kind of moving them around, you know what I mean? He's kind of like look, giving them this look down upon this valley and this incredible uh, vision, this, 
that he's, but it's all these dead people and their, and their bones are even completely dried out. And so this ain't, this ain't Lazarus a couple, three days. You know, this is, I said a couple, three right there. That's, that's redneck. You in Texas too long to say that. But it's like, this is, this is people whose bones are dry. Um, but God asks him a question, man. And whenever he asks you a question, it's, that's how Jesus used to ask them questions. Like when he was 12, you know, asking those teachers questions, right? But it's like, can these bones live? You know, that's, that's, that's God pulling something out of the inside of us when he asks us a question. Um, and, and Ezekiel's answer is so wise. Oh, Lord God, you know. Like, I don't, you tell me. I just work here. Um, and he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I put sinews on you, bring flesh upon you, cover your skin, skin, put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a, there was a noise, a sudden and suddenly a rattling and the bones started to come together. And indeed I looked and the sinews of flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them. See, you watch this like a movie. You don't see it like a, a Bible story. It's like you see this, whoosh, bah, all these rattling noises. You know, all this stuff's happening. All this flesh is like whoosh, covering these dudes. I'm bad at sound effects, but indeed I looked. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, O son of man. Come from the four winds. Breathe on the slain that they may live. And breath came into them. And they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's our, our whole family. It's very pretty. Very beautiful. I will put my spirit in you and you shall, and you shall live. I have written in my Bible, Romans 4, 17, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. That's a good one, Romans 4, 17 for the note people. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that don't exist as though they did. And it's like, here you have Ezekiel learning something that I feel like is a valuable lesson for us. And maybe that's the message today of like, of like the key to walking in the power and the authority of God is seeing like God. And the key to seeing like God is actually knowing Him for real. You know, replacing the, bi the, the bipolar angry dad or the pagan God who needs blood to be satisfied. You know, replacing Him with a God who lays His life down for you. Because there, no, there is no shadow. There's no inconsistency in God. What you see in Jesus, you see in the Father in the same. You know, it's like there's something to this, to this reality of seeing this way that Ezekiel was learning to see, you know, love that would abound more and more knowledge to approve that which is excellent. It's like he looks on these bones. Can these bones live? It's like, it's like there's a mind that's been poisoned by the fall of mankind, Adam, who sees things backwards, who sees God as judgmental, as judge and, and, and harsh. And, and he's asking you a question. And in my carnal mind, can they live? Of course they can't live. They're dead. 
And like I said earlier, like so many times, what is passed for discernment in the Christian world, especially in the charismatic prophetic world, is, is literally just rooted in fear and suspicion instead of rooted in the love of God. And someone that's rooted in fear and suspicion, and suspicion is, just, is just suspicious of people because they're territorialists and, and they're scared that, that they're going to be overtaken. They have to hold on to their position. And so they feel empowered by judgment, which is the same root. But it's like, if your love abounds in more knowledge and discernment, you can approve that which is excellent. It's like, is there, Ezekiel, is there anything there that you can speak into? Is there anything good? What can you see? Well, their bones are still there. I guess that's good. They're not, they're not you know, incinerated. That's, that's cool, right? You know? Yeah. Prophesy to the bones. If that's all you have, speak to that. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord. They don't have got ears, they're not listening. Doesn't matter, Ezekiel, stop asking so many questions, man. You know, that was, that was if I was in there, you know. Um, you know what I'm saying? How easy would it be to criticize? Well, that's what the church looks like. <laughs> Bunch of dry bones. You know what I mean? Just go on social media, that's all you'll see, you know. Well, you know, I've been wounded by the church. I've been hurt by the church. It's like, man, you've been wounded at the religious system you weren't supposed to be a part of. Maybe, maybe you should find the church. But there's something to that critical heart which would have no power. But the life-giving heart of a flesh that is within us that sees past and speaks into those things which are not as though they are. And there's power there. And so pro prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It's the spirit of prophecy. We take thoughts captive. They, we take the thoughts captive that acknowledge, the, that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God, and we submit them to what? The testimony of what Jesus has done. So this whole Bible becomes drastically simple. And those with the power to prophesy and breathe life into people come to those who have a tame tongue, like in James, that refuse to let criticism come out of their mouth. But, in, but, in, but it, it, different than that, it's not like, oh, you know, I see this vision or whatever. It's like I have the vision that actually sees through death and, and, and barrenness and speaks life. And that's God's type of vision. And the more we partner with that, the more full of his heart and mindset we become. Amen. You know? And the more fruit we actually see in this life. Amen. And so we're not hiding afraid of judgment. We're pronouncing the judgment, which the ruler of this world has judged. Jesus said it. It's in red. You know, I'm not stuff, saying stuff's not going to shake, for sure. You know? But what I am saying is like we can live a mentality of fear, trying to hoard what is ours. You know? Or we can be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus, who He truly is, and speak total life everywhere we go. That's it. That's my message. But, okay, I think I have enough time for a story. I'm going to try to be four minutes, and then, I'll, and then I'll give us an assignment, and then I'll be done. So I had this thing. I had something happen 15 years ago, man. It's more than 15 years ago. And for some reason, it was coming to me over the past two nights. And, you know, talking about not judging somebody according to the flesh. And then last night, my dog Kwame comes, and he walks in our room at like 3 in the morning, and he curls up and he lays next to me in the, on the ground next to my side of the bed. 
And he's, he's at this stage where he growls all the time. Like that deep belly, he's a little pit bull, he growls, mm. you know what I mean? And he does it whenever he lays down. I don't know why. It's like, he wakes you up. So Kwame walks in, I hear his feet. He comes and he lays next to me for whatever reason. And I just hear him, and that's him settling in. It woke me up and I'm just like, dude, really? You know, and I try to go back to sleep. And I keep thinking of this story. So maybe it's a good time for it. Maybe not, but there's only one way to find out. 15-ish years ago, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was standing on the corner of Trade and Tryon Street, downtown Charlotte. And we used to have these, this group of people that would, they would come out there and play music. And, and it was, it, they were Christians, but it was more secular, and they would just kind of jam and, and have drums and stuff like that and, and kind of open mic and stuff. And they got a permit from the city, which Charlotte's a very big city, the biggest city in North Carolina. Raleigh might be up there now, too. I don't know, but it used to be the biggest. Anyway, so anyways, this is 15 years ago. So I was young. I was a lot, some of your age in here. Some of y'all, I mean, I was probably 23 or 4 years old, right? And I didn't know much, but I knew God talked. And so I would actually go down there a lot of times on Saturday nights and just kind of comb the crowd if they're, if they're playing music and stuff. And I would just walk up on people and, and tell them whatever I felt encouraging thing that the Lord wanted me to, have, to say to them. But last night, as Kwame woke me up growling, I was thinking about this story in my bed. And this couple was walking across the street. I randomly see them. And judging according to the flesh, you know, they're a wealthy couple. They, I think they had been to a symphony or something like that. He was wearing a suit, but he also had like, I don't think, I think they called a pea coat, like that type of jacket. Like a, it's kind of like a trench coat, but it's real nice and it goes with the suit. Is that correct? Any fancy people in here? No? So that's what we're going to call it, a pea coat. And they're dressed really nice. And if you knew me back then, I think I had just met Nicole, so she didn't really know me. But, I mean, I had hair like way down here. I mean, I was just trashy looking, just to be honest. Let's just skip right to it. Just a real trashy looking dude, right? Really rough looking, kind of rough fast. It, it, not really. You know, I was a college athlete, and I was there, and I just cut, stopped cutting my hair, and I was following the Lord. You know, so anyways, so I'm walking around this big old guy with his long hair, just looking trashy. Um, pretty much. And I see them walk across the street, and when I see this man walk across the street, cross over to Trade and Tryon, uh, I have a word that comes to me for the guy, and it's like, and I see him as this leader, and I see the word administrator. Like, he's an administrator, he's a leader, and to be honest, if I can just tell you how smart I am, I don't even know what administrator meant, you know what I mean? So I was just like, okay, so that's what this guy is. And so they came, and they're just standing there, and I think, and I feel like the Lord is like, go after these people. And, you know, if, if you judge by the flesh and you think this way, it's just like, hey, these are not the type of people that want somebody like me to walk up to them and start talking to them about God or a vision that I've had or some strange thing. Um, and so I kind of hesitated and stood there by them. And the Lord gave me a real good cue for another time, maybe for the, the people that take communion here. We'll do that. But to like, this is your, this is a go spot. So I'm looking at him. But when I saw his wife, I had a picture that come to my mind of her crying herself to sleep. So here you got administrator, some leadership guy, he's obviously rich and fancy, and then you got a lady crying herself to sleep. There's not much to walk on, but I feel the Lord saying, like, go in with what you got. Just go with it. And then, you know, back then I was just like, you know, you know, they say you're, you're, you're I don't know if you're, you're smart enough to know, not know that you're dumb, something like that. Maybe that's not it, but that's kind of what's going on. Pretty, pretty dull, but didn't know that I was dull. So I was like, all right, cool. So I walked up on him. And I was like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, what? He's like, what is this? Oh, these are some friends of ours. They, they got a permit to play music here, so they always play. And I was like, you know, if you don't mind, 
and they're just standing there watching. I was like, you know, you don't mind if I share something with you? Like, I felt like as you walked across the street, the Lord really highlighted you to me. I feel like God speaks to me sometimes, and He really highlighted you to me. And, and I just, I, I felt like you're really an administrator. Like, you have a real gift in, like, leadership. And, and that's really on your life. Because my, my, real, my real hitter was the wife. That's the word I had. But sometimes you got to take out pin A to get to pin B or B to get A, whatever. So I tell him this. And when I did, he, he was kind of like listening to me like, okay. He, he turns and he squares up to me. Like shoulder to shoulder. Like, a, like a, a man talking to a boy. basically, Kind of like he looks down towards me. Or he looks at me and he, and he goes, well, I am a leader. He's like... I, I'm an elected official. I'm, I'm, I'm a bishop in the Mormon church in Salt Lake City. It's an elected position. And then, he sa- <laughs> and then he says, and I'm the director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And I was like, okay. And like to me, it's like, yeah, like, you know, like I'm a kid to listen to rap music my whole life. I don't know what that is. You know, I kind of know what it is, but just like, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, man. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, so you are an administrator, a leader. And he, and, he, and he looked at me, and he was like, like he was concerned. He was like, yes. Yes, I am. But it, it, it hit him. Something so basic. And I was like, well, I actually feel like I have a word for your life. I, your wife, I feel like the Lord showed me something for her. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And, she, and she's like, yeah. And, um, and I said, well, as I looked over here, I saw you. I had a picture of you in my mind crying yourself to sleep. But I felt that the Lord wanted me to encourage you. I felt, and I felt like you were crying about one of your children. But I, but I felt that I was to encourage you that he has your children. He has your child. They're with him. You know, that he has that covered. And when, when I did that, she was like, oh, oh my goodness. She's, and, and she said, our daughter just converted out of Mormonism to be a Christian. You know what I mean? And I'm sitting there just like, you know, oh, you know, I was kind of, uh, 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 back then, I was kind of a wild, you know, I was like, bang, bang, you know what I'm saying? Wide earth, you know what I mean? And so I was like, oh, yeah, you don't say. And so the dad still stand there kind of, kind of, now he's kind of opened his shoulder, so he's to let me in to talk to her, but he's still kind of standing there kind of like half protective, but half like trying to figure me out. And, and um, she's like, oh, my gosh. And, and I'll tell you what she said before they left, which was such a beautiful thing. Um, but then he looked at me and he said, he's like, what? he's like, we have a prophet in the Mormon church. He says, we have one prophet in the Mormon church. And when he passes away, there will be another one that comes behind him. So I, it's like his wheels are turning. I found the next one, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, no. You got me all wrong, man. Um, and, you know, he, he looks at me and he's like, we have a prophet of the Mormon church. And I don't know nothing about Mormonism, but except for what this dude has told me. And he's like, we have a prophet of the Mormon church. And, he's gonna, and when he passes away, there will be another one to take his place. We have one. I was like, oh, well, I was like, well, you guys believe the Bible, right? He's like, well, yeah, we, we believe the Bible. I was like, you know, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that we may all prophesy. That we, we just, Christianity is part of it. It's just actually hearing from the Lord in relationship and being able to share it with other people, you know, I was like, we can all do this. What I believe is that all Christians have this ability, you know, you know, we have, even in the charismatic movie, we had, oh man, this person's a prophet. This is an apostolic. They put it on me sometimes, you know, so it's like, listen, man, like you, this is just Christianity, man. Like you can't throw a name that's going to stick. I mean, you can call yourself a name and a lot of people do, you know what I mean? 
but it doesn't usually, it's not, you know, the way it is, uh, you know, so, you know, call myself anything, I can call myself 400 pounds, I'm not, but, um, you know, anyway, so it's just like, it's, it's one of those things that we have this tendency to want to titleize somebody, but it's just like, no, 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 like, the heart of flesh, the sensitivity to the voice of God, like, this is Judaism 2.0, this is the new covenant, this is Christianity, and this is all of us, it's not the cult you're in, bro, sorry, and you guys know I have a lot of Mormon interactions, especially in this town, and they're always great. And I told them the story, the last, some of the last two that I got. And man, it was awesome, but it was fun. But it's one of those deals, man, where I'm saying this and he's trying to figure something out and he's not getting it, but something's happening. And before they left, they stood there and his wife said, thank you, it was so good to meet you. She's like, I'm so glad I met a Christian. I'm so glad I was able to meet a Christian. And to me, I'm like living, it's like the Bible Belt where we live now. It's like, well, everybody's a Christian, man. Like, even the, the bar's full of Christians. Like, everybody's, this is the way we do this thing around here, you know what I mean? But to them, they're from Salt Lake. It's like, that's, that's a rare, we're, we're weird to them, you know? But anyhow, so this was, the, this was the interaction that I got. And I did, I went, and, you know, I didn't even have internet back then. I didn't have an, I mean, I was 24, 5, 6, I don't know what I was. I think I was 23 or 4 during this story. But, um, you know, I didn't have internet. I didn't have a, I didn't have a smartphone until I was in my 30s, y'all. Like, I just didn't, I just, I'm, I'm a little late to things. But, um, you know, I went and looked this dude up. You know, and, and he, he, he retri- retired abruptly, uh, abruptly, and no one knows why, from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir in 2008 and took a job. I mean, I'm just throwing his business all over the place now. He's like, he's like, but he, he changed jobs and he became the dean I think he won, a, he won a musical excellence award from George W. Bush. It's crazy. And he, um, he took a job with the University of Utah or University, Utah State. One of those. He's, he's one of the deans there of the Department of Music. He's an administrator, dude. Hey, he works in administration now. You know what I mean? Like, Man, that long-haired guy told me this word a long time ago. You know? But, um, but I, I don't, I don't want to say, yeah, they started speaking in tongues, and I baptized them in the... In the the pool around the corner, you know, it wasn't one of these things, but, I, but what I do know is their world was rocked. Yeah. And I know it was rocked on my end, but it was rocked on their daughter's end. Yeah. And that's contagious. Yeah. That's contagious. We think standing in the gap, speaking of Ezekiel, is actually petting people and staying where they're at. And it is not. Standing in the gap is becoming who you truly are, the heart of flesh. The inability to criticize and judge, the life-giving, the follower, the uncompromising follower of the Lord, and that creates a vacuum for the family. So this girl stood up to the religious machine and started to rock her family's world. And because of that, some long-haired, trashy-looking guy got tugged on the ear and said, hey, go go talk to those people real quick. And so they're getting hit on every side. I don't know what happened with them. Maybe I should just email them now, now that I've looked them up. Hey, you remember me by any chance? But anyways, that's the story. Listen, it kind of goes with it. There's something to having a mouth that's full of power. And it's like, well, brother, that's because you're prophetically gifted. Please don't say that around me. That's not, that's not what it is. What it is is that when we value other people as greater than ourselves, we have love in our hearts. And when we have that value in our life, we see others the way God sees them, no matter what they're projecting with their life. 
And when we see those things and we speak to those things as if they're actually there, because they are, they come alive in their life. And our words have so much power. There's no victims in this life. We are walking around empowered of God to change the world in every single sphere of our life and every single day. And much of it is being compelled. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and verse 16. The love of Christ compelling us in all things that we do and regarding no one according to the flesh. Because if you do, you'll never step out. You'll never share what you have. Well, they look different than me. They're in a different demographic than me. They're in a different, you know what I mean? It's like, we'll, we'll, net, we'll be sitting on our hands, you know. But we are empowered. We're not waiting for something to happen. We are the something that's going to happen. He's inside of us, you know. So that's the beautiful heart of Ezekiel 36. Um, the point, our authority lies in 2 Corinthians 5. That's good. Let's see. I had an assignment. Okay, how about this? Here's the assignment this week. Sometimes we do questions, all right? Here's the assignment for the week for the house. And this is a cool thing to do. Chris, you remember I used to do the, the fast from critical talking back in the day? <laughs> we used to all do that. That was great. It's similar to that 10 years ago. But what it's going to be is we're going to turn everything into intercession. Every criticism, every judgment that we think towards a person, we're going to flip it. Every bone that we see, every dark thing we see manifest, we're going to choose to change it. And we're going to guard our mouths from criticism and judgment. That was kind of a long to, to put it in assignment. It's usually a sentence long. So let's say this. We will take a fast from critical speaking and even thoughts. And when they come into our minds, we'll take them captive, submit them to the Lord Jesus, receive his heart for the person, because it's always people, and we'll speak into that. That doesn't mean you have to go after people and tell them stuff. You know, intercession can, and it can also be kind of a strange word, but it means that anytime we think of like, golly, you know, somebody, I'm going to say Alan because he's one of my homies. So Alan's wearing me out with da 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 da. If that criticism, I wish he would just get it, comes into my mind, that frustration, it's going to be like, so what do I, what do I want to pray for him to step into? Phew. And watch our minds be transformed by the power of the Spirit that's within us and what, what power really is of partnering with Him in all that we do and releasing His words of life. And watch them... Can't talk that good. I just can't. Watch them transform the circles we find ourselves in. You know? All right. Lord, we thank You for Your Word that is true. We thank You for Your new covenant. And, uh, and your spirit that is alive and active within us. I ask you to help us to have this mind of pure connection to you. That any time that nature of Adam, the critical, the judgment, even the, sh the pot shots at churches, at people, at whatever it could be, that we would exchange that mind for your mind and release it to you and move on our way. Amen. Amen.